Amen. Praise God. It's so good to look into the word of the Lord. I'm going to invite you uh, to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at Matthew chapter number 7. We've been looking at Luke's record, Luke's account of the same teaching of Jesus. In my Bible, it's in red. That means Jesus is speaking. Amen. It's so cool. When I was younger, I would like, just read the red letters. It was so cool, what Jesus is saying. And so Matthew chapter number 7, I'll give you some time to get there. We're going to look at verse 24, starting at verse number 24 of Matthew chapter number 7. For those joining us online, we invite you as well to get your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to verse 27. And after I finish uh, reading this, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into the word of the Lord uh, this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 24, says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Let me invite you to pray with me, please, as we ask God for his hand to be upon this message. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for for the word of God. We invite your presence, and we ask that at this time you will lead and guide me and direct me. I pray that only what is from you will be declared to your people. We just pray and thank you for the anointing of God. We know how important it is for us to hear the word, but also to do the word. So help us by your Holy Spirit to do the word as well. So, Father, we honor you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And say amen. 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 It's good to be part of a church that talks back to you and says amen in agreement on things. It is interesting when some people are speaking and they would have to say, hey, you know, uh, when I speak, it's okay to talk back to me. Um, That's because they're in certain environments where it's just quiet. No one says a word. And that's okay. But I just like to hear from people who are saying, amen, pastor, or, ow, that was good um, to really get the word in you. So I'm I'm thankful for that. What I want to do today, which I believe is important, is I continue to hear the Lord speak to me as I embark on my sixth year of pastor in this church. And I said, where's the time gone? I just asked Nicole, I said, how old is Anthony? And she told me, I'm like, what? I said, where has the time gone? I've known him when he was first born. And so I want to first thank God that he's keeping me. Amen. Whenever I think and someone tells me someone's age, I'm like, wow, thank you, Jesus. You're keeping me alive. Um, we've got to become people who are grateful um, to God's mercy. And so I thank him. And so I, I look upon the sixth year, and, and, and clearly what he's saying to me um, is he's going to build his church. 
Now, being a pastor, it may sound different to you to hear than for me. But he really wants me to understand that there are platforms that were built that he's going to break down. Um, because he loves his people too much to have them live or build their life on a platform that's not built by him. He loves me. He loves you too much to continue to have the enemy build things for our name and not for his glory. And so when I think about it, that is what gives me the encouragement. So when I see all that's taking place, he constantly reminds me that, Rowan, I'm building my church. Don't get, don't, don't, don't get anxious. <laughs> I'm building my church. Don't worry about all that's going on. I'm building my church. And so I say this without apology. The only hope for any nation, especially this nation, is the church. It's the only hope. It's the only hope. We are the voice. We are to demonstrate what it really looks like to love God and love each other. The Bible also says that the kingdom of God suffered violence, but the violent take it by force. We are supposed to be in forward movement, not neutral and not in reverse. When the Bible says that Jesus says, I'm building my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it is not that we are the one on the defense. The enemy is the one that's on defense. We are taking territory. Are you with me, somebody? Please understand that the enemy is afraid of you. And so what he does, he deceives us to intimidate us. Because if we ever knew who we were, we would then continue to have forward progress. And we will see things that are happening. It is not far-fetched. It is not something that's a pie in the sky. To believe a city can be transformed by the glory of God. And that crime could go down. And that things that are not of God can actually be eradicated. It is not hard to believe that. I was in Columbus yesterday. I uh, went to a, a, an event, and as soon as I pulled off a particular street, you felt the darkness. And automatically, my heart was, God, have your way in this city, on this street. Um, where do I park my car, if I'm going to be honest? You know what I'm saying? Because there was a recent shooting there. And there it was, the church was declaring the praises of God. Just in that neighborhood to let the neighbors know you're not alone. Come on. That this neighborhood can be transformed by the power and the presence and the people of God. And as I drove on the street, I just saw churches after churches. And I just said, God, let these churches, let their light shine. If no one's told you, I want to tell you that you are the light and the salt of the earth what you are and that we have to navigate how to be in the world but not of the world and that your life has importance your life has value and so the reason why corporate gathering is necessary it is necessary because we have to build each other up and continue the good fight of faith that's what it's all about 
And so here it is now that we look at Matthew chapter number 7. And Jesus is teaching. He's teaching what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus doing a a teaching I think is important. And so I want to recap because we looked at Luke chapter 6. And we looked at Luke's account of the same thing that, that Matthew was talking about. One was on the mountain. One was down in the plain. And just for a review, so you could know that we're supposed to be having forward movement. Someone say forward. forward. We need to be making a forward movement. The church is supposed to be leading the way. The church is supposed to be making a path for another generation to be able to walk through. So that they can see the goodness of God. And so Jesus comes on the scene now and he's making a path. And he's just, he's just knocking things out of the way. Things that were hindering people from truly being the light. Things that were holding people from really um, demonstrating the kingdom of God. And so I'm glad Jesus was the one that was doing it and not me. <laughs> I'm glad Jesus was doing it. And so as we take a look, the first thing I want to remind you is this. is Number one, write this down as we review again. is to build your life. That you have to build your life. You can't just sit back and not do anything. You have to build your life. So Jesus begins and he says this, that there are three major areas. We talked about it. And so every message, every sermon that you hear, please, I encourage you to do this. Every message that you hear, your life depends on it. Every message should deal with, am I trusting God in this situation? How do I treat people in this situation? And I be, am I being transparent to myself? Am I being honest with where I'm at when it comes to loving God, trusting God, and treating people? That's the first thing that must, must, must be, and it's necessary for you to build your life. People are struggling today. And they want to know, who can we trust? And the answer is, we have to trust God. I know it's simple. It's just two things. But it's so difficult. But we must trust God. We have to. We have to look at how we are treating people. We must look at that. And then we must look internal and ask ourselves the question, God, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. And so because of that, Jesus goes on now and he says, then, then if you're doing these three things, then what you're going to do is you're going to call me Lord, Lord. You're going to say that I'm the master of your faith. I'm the master of your life. And so the second thing you have to do then is you have to tell the truth. Someone say tell the truth. You have to tell the truth. You have to come and say that in telling the truth, you have to declare, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. Write that down or get that in your mind because the enemy is going to bombard you with distractions after distractions with demonic things to move you away from that truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. You see, you must understand that in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you are not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are bought with a price. You are not your own. So you must glorify God where in your body. 
I want to give you an illustration, demonstration. I've probably done this before, but it's worth doing again. Scott, I want you to come here real quick. And, and so prior to knowing Jesus, every single one of us was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. And so now, because of what Adam did, we are all now slaves to sin. That we belong to Satan and to sin. That was our condition. The moment we're born, that is exactly where we are. And so there's a Greek word. It's called the agora. It means the marketplace. And so the example was this, that when the enemy who owns us, he brought us to the marketplace to market us to any demonic thing that wants us. Come on. Anxiety, do you want them? They're for sale. Come on, come on. Drug addict, do you want them? They're for sale. Uh, Anything in the environment that wants this body, they can have it. Why? Because I own it. It's the agora. It's the marketplace. And what that did was it separated us from God. Not that God separated us. From us, sin separated us from God. And so we're in the gore. That's where we are. And so what God did was this, because the enemy said, Now you cannot enter into this realm without a body because I own the body. So now, before the foundation of the earth, come on, it says Jesus was sent. And so the word became flesh and dwelt among us and says body is now fighting body. Come on. And so Jesus now comes and he pays the price and God, watch what he does now. He doesn't redeem you from here. He goes into the agora, into the marketplace legally. He says, my love, oh, come on, is stronger than any demonic thing. So I step into darkness because I am the light legally. I come into it. Because he has a body. Prove it. That's why if you read your scriptures, the demon would say, I know who you are. And he'd tell him, be quiet. Actually, he was more bold than that. Shut up. He would tell the demons who recognize that I know he's in a body, but that's the word. And if he speaks a, oh my God, if he just speaks a word, it has to come to pass. And so he comes into the, I'm telling you how he's, he's making a path for us. This is getting to the place of where you say, Jesus is Lord of my life. This is why it is. So he comes in now, and what Jesus does now, he says, how much do I have to pay for humanity. What it's going to cost me to pay to get them out of the Agora. He said, it's going to cost you your life. Now, everything else, there's a price. But for you, it's going to cost your life. Because someone has to pay with their life for what they did. And so Jesus goes, I'll pay the price. And so Jesus comes now, and he does this. He comes now and says, he says, I paid the price, enemy. And so he's like, okay, fine. And so in paying the price, watch this now, Scott's free. Come on. He's free. I paid the price. The enemy realized, okay, the blood was shed. He's free. And all of us are at this place that when we come to know Jesus, we say, thank you for being my savior. But we still stay in the Agora. 
And so we live and try to embrace the love of God by simply seeing him as our savior. And we live right here. And that's why it's hard to trust God because you're in the very environment that the enemy had you in. So when things are happening, you become familiar more than you have faith that you're free. And that's why you need great preaching of the gospel. Because I have to know that I am free in my mind. And so God's love says, I can't leave them in the Agora. I know that they are delivered, but they're not free. I've set them free, but they don't know that they're free. And the enemy is now saying, as long as you stay here, I can bring temptations that will cause you not to know how free you really are. And so he comes now and he says, okay, I paid the price, but you're still here. So he says, come with me now. And he takes him out of the Agora. Come on. And he says, now you're here with me. And what happens, though, is this. Thank you, Lord, that you're my savior. But I still struggle with an attachment. Come on, to the Agora. Mm. And so what happens is where God is taking me, when I go through a struggle with sin, I find that the Agora pulls me back into the marketplace. Come on. And so Paul says, when I try to do good, come on, evil presents itself and it pulls me back into sin. And he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this bondage of sin? And he says, thank God who gives me the victory. And so when we come out and we're here, Jesus now recognizes you can't keep living back and forth in this tension. And so he says, the moment you now say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. He now cuts the string. Oh, come on. And now he says, you are free, and now you recognize Jesus is Lord of my life because I'm now a slave to Christ. Oh, come on. Oh. Because what he did in the Agora was absolutely the greatest demonstration of love that there is. And now I'm free. And he now says, okay, Scott, now that you're free, don't call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I told you because I own you. Oh, God. Thank you, Scott. You can go down. Amen. He says, tell the truth. Is Jesus Lord of your life? And you say, yes, he is because he set me free. He set me free. My goodness, we're living in a time where we need more deliverance now than anything else before. The deception is so strong. I told you last week, the enemy just has to whisper a lie. He was, he was, he was yelling before, and now he just has to whisper a lie. And we get pulled right back into the agora again. And we come out, we come like this. And so when I meet with people as a pastor, I want to know, what are you connected to? What keeps pulling your strings? 
Because I, we, we, you get pulled out this way, and then you go right back into this place. You go pull it this way, and you go back in this place. And I said, what are you connected to? What theology, what thought, what are you believing? What lies is the enemy telling you that's keeping you stuck there? And he said, if I'm Lord of your life, he says, tell the truth. If Jesus is Lord of your life, you realize I was bought with a price. So therefore, I glorify God in my body. What's the takeaway? That's communion. That's where we have communion. That's what happened last time we got together. The Holy Spirit came in this place, and I left. That church was over, but you all stayed. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to have them get all the blessing. I came back in, and people are still here just worshiping God. And the Lord says, throw out communion so people can get it and have communion. Listen, I'm going to encourage you right now to build your life. You must commune with the Holy Spirit every single day because the Holy Spirit dwells in your body, and the enemy doesn't want you to know that. So glorify God in your body because he purchased you with a price. God, I belong to you. So now that you know the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me, God. And the answer is, yes, I will help you. Because Jesus is saying this, that my lordship is both necessary and non-negotiable. It is necessary and non-negotiable. I am the Lord of your life because I'm Lord of all of your life. Because I've set you free. Are you with me so far? That's how you build your life. So you want to encourage somebody, ask them, is he Lord of your life in every area? Are you trusting God in this area? But it's, it's difficult. I know, but we have to trust God with it. Why? Because look what he did. Look what God did by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into your life. And the thing is this, that God is consistent. He really is. And so you have to balance your mind. So, so there's some, I've been praying for an individual. They're in a the hospital. I've been praying and we're believing God. And, and the last couple of days, I've been calling his name. I'm like, God, I call his name. Heal him in Jesus' name. Knowing that God, the enemy wants my mind to go someplace as you're wasting your time. Come on. I'm praying, believing God and trusting God. And the enemy is still speaking. So I have to be able to have a discernment to say, no, I know the whole truth. Devil, you're a liar. Come on. And Jesus is Lord of my life. And that's how you build your life. That's how integrity is birthed. That's the whole thing that we have to do. And then we moved on and we looked at, I will, I will build your life. So because you make me Lord of your life, he says, I will build your life. And so what we look at is this. He says, now everyone who comes to me, everyone who listens to me, everyone do what I tell them. What you're demonstrating is this, is that obedience is necessary and non-negotiable. Obedience is necessary and non-negotiable. So now to my text. So what we did was, number one, you're saying this, that the lordship of Jesus Christ is necessary, non-negotiable. The second thing you're saying is this, is that obedience is necessary and non-negotiable. Let's park it for those two right there. Those two things are vital if we're going to be the church that's going to bring transformation to a nation. That we must say clearly and consistently, Jesus is Lord of my life, and I'm obedient to what he tells me to do. If you don't have those two things cemented as a conviction and as a confession, you can, you can be deceived. If we don't have it as that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life and that I'm obedient to what he is telling me to do, the enemy knows that there is room for you to be deceived. 
And so we can't afford to have that. And so in Matthew chapter 7 now, Jesus is coming on and he's saying this. Here is the final conclusion to the sermon. Here is the last part of the sermon. He says, now that you know these two things, build your life and I will build your life. Now he says this. Now it's time for you to build your life on a confession and a conviction that cannot be talked out. What is your confession? What is your conviction? What is your confession? What is your conviction? In Matthew 7, he goes and he tells us. He realizes this, that I have outlined the principles of living a life of power. I've outlined for you how to live a life of power. So you won't go back into the marketplace of slavery to sin again. I've given you the principles of how to live a life of power. I've taught you about the kingdom of God and the power of God as well. And so now he says, I'm going to end this message by making sure that with your confession and with your conviction, you have a sure foundation to stand upon. He says, I want you now to understand this, that there's something that you must do. And he teaches them this parable. And Jesus says now, you're either going to be wise or you're going to be foolish. Don't you love Jesus? He just tells it like it is. Either you're wise or you're foolish. Luke just says a certain man. Matthew says you're either wise or you're foolish. And so Jesus goes down and he's telling them that it's important that we understand that this parable. Now there's some parables of which we have to try to, to, to understand the Greek. And we have to try to understand the context of, of what was being said. But this parable, this particular parable is impossible to misunderstand. It is clear and it is consistent. Build your life on a sure foundation. I love people. I really do. I think people are fascinated. I do. When, when I went to Megan's uh, oath ceremony, and, and uh, what was neat was the person who interviewed her was the person right there that was actually doing the paperwork. I was like, you're the one that interviewed her? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, can I get a picture? I'm like, okay. You know, I don't know if it was even allowed. But I'm like, can I get a picture? And we're taking a picture of them and... And the reason why I do that is because I, I, I just love people and I just, I just want to let them know how valuable they are. And so as a church, because we love people, we have to be clear and consistent with our message. We have to be. We have to get clear. We have to say, okay, there's a wise builder and there's a foolish builder. And so we have to understand now, which builder are you? Which one? Are you? Because people need to know, are you building your life on a sure foundation? Help me, Jesus. Here's why. Because when I meet with people, the first thing that I want to hear from them is tell me what's going on in your life. That's the first thing. Tell me what's going on in your life. I want to know what's happening in your life because here's the deal. Because I think it's important that you understand that, that, that in hearing what's going on in your life, it gives me an opportunity to see God. I pray that you move in this person's life because they have great value and worth. Are you hearing me? And the reason why I want to know what's going on in your life is because this is the case. Life is complicated. Someone write that down. Life is complicated and full of challenges. 
There are people that don't get out of bed because they just can't make a decision anymore. Life is so complicated. They're just like, I'm just going to lay here in bed because I just can't get one foot out before another one. It's so complicated. I don't want to live like yesterday and I don't know what the future holds. So my present is just to stay right here in bed. Life is complicated. Just ask your teenager. It's complicated. The things that our children are facing that we didn't have to look at. With technology, the things that, that Lizzie has to go through, come on, is complicated. Peer pressure on steroids, come on. Life is complicated because we have an enemy that wants to destroy us. And so life is complicated. And so in looking at this, Jesus is saying you have to build a sure foundation. He says, I'm giving you the principles to live a life of power. Why? Because there's people that you're going to engage. And if you engage with them, they're going to say, life is complicated, man. And I don't know who to trust. I don't know what to trust. I don't know who I can be vulnerable with. I don't know who I can share this with. Life is complicated. And here's your response. Someone say, what should I tell them? Come on, come on. Say it again. What should I tell them? When you're on a sure foundation and when you're a wise builder, you will tell them this. I know life is complicated, but Jesus is not complicated. Oh, come on. Come on. Come on. Jesus is not complicated. Because he lived on earth. Come on. And he went through all the things that you're going through that I went through. So here's the deal. When life raises ugly head, I look to Jesus who is the sure foundation of my life. Come on. That's why I give God praise and give him glory for Jesus. Life is complicated, but Jesus is not complicated. It says people who have a confession and a conviction, they don't deny the pressures of life. They just welcome the presence of Jesus in their life. That's what they do. Life is complicated. Man, 2019, 2020, that ought to tell you I've never lived what I'm living now. And I tell people all the time, part joking, but part reality. I'm glad I have no hair because I'd be pulling it all out. How to navigate a church that's on rough waters where people want to bail out. Come on. And where people want to take the helm and direct it where they want it to go. Come on. How do we navigate these rough waters? Life is complicated. How do you handle someone's personal experience of what they believe to be reality for them? How do you minister to people that don't think like you? How do we do it? Well, if you're not involved in their life, you don't care. And we ought to be the number one people, or we should be the only institution that says, hey, we care about your life. Here's why. Why do we tell people that Jesus is not complicated? Here's the answer. Because he's the center of our destiny. He's the reason why we live. Stay with me, please. He's the reason why we live from 1988 till now when I've been walking with Jesus. The only reason I haven't lost my mind is because I keep going back to Jesus. Come on. There's been days where it was really close. Come on. There are days when I'm driving my car. Can I just be honest and transparent? There are days when I'm driving my car when Megan's texting. I'm not answering the text. Come on. And I'm seeing a light pole and I'm thinking to myself, I can just drive into the light pole right now and just end it. Come on. Everything will be okay. Life is complicated even for this ball headed preacher. Come on. 
And what protects me is God sends his word. Come on. He says, but Jesus, Rowan, saved your life. Come on. And I moved the car over. Then I answered her text and said, thank God you called. Come on. And there are people sitting in your seat right beside you. Family members thinking the same thing. But who can they tell that to? They need to find someone with a solid foundation that can say, listen, I know what it's like to go through that struggle. I know what it's like to face that trauma. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to face a violation of which I didn't welcome. Life is complicated. Human trafficking, come on. Life is complicated. Tornadoes and and all those things that destroy. Life is complicated. And the church is saying clearly and with consistency, it is time that you build your life on a sure foundation. Life is complicated, but Jesus is not. The second point to this parable is this. Here is the challenge we have, though. Because Jesus brings it to a place of where he's saying, listen, um, I want you to imagine yourself in the story. So when he gives a parable, he doesn't just want you to read a good story. He wants you to see yourself in the story. That's what he wants. Where does Roe fit in the story? Where does McKenna, where do you fit in the story? That's when it gets interesting. Because when you put yourself in the store, you realize now he's not talking to my neighbor, he's talking to me. And so when you find yourself in the story, here is what the religious people did. Here is what people do when they find themselves in the story that doesn't fit up to their narrative or to their agenda. They realize, though, that though Jesus is not complicated, Jesus, though, is Lord. And so if I invite him into my complications, if I invite him into my life, he's going to challenge me. He's going to want me to see things from his perspective. So what we do is this. The challenge is to change the story. We don't like the way the story is written. We don't like what God has written. So we're just going to change the story to fit my narrative. Are you with me, somebody? And so what happens is this, we read the parable and we realize that I play a part in this as well. The question, am I foolish or am I wise? That's what he's asking us this morning. And he's saying because life is complicated, but because Jesus is not, he says it's time for you to be challenged to listen and says, don't change the story of redemption. Come on. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Come on. The story of redemption is perfect in the way that God has orchestrated. Can anybody help me out this morning? That the story of redemption is perfect. You don't got to sugarcoat it. You don't got to soften it. Come on. You just got to tell it. Don't try to change the story. So you're telling someone that says life is complicated. You're trying to tell them how to get out. And they're like, well, I don't like that. I don't know what you want me to tell you then. But that's the story. That's the story. Jesus is saying, after everything I've said, this is the story. So we tell our, our teens, we tell our, our loved ones, we tell our family, um, um, the challenge is that you're going to want to change the story, but don't. It's his story. So the question becomes today, TGP, where are we in the story? Are we building a church that's on a solid foundation or are we going to build a church based on the culture and the metric of man? 
Are we finally going to build a church on some solid foundation so that when a year like 2019, 2020 comes again, come on, are we going to be tossed this way and tossed that way? Come on. And people toss out of the boat and some tossed over this way and some are drowning and we're still sailing along where people are drowning. No, we got to stop the ship. We got to say, Jesus, are we even going the right direction? So the challenge is to change the story. I don't believe God anymore. You change the story. Well, God didn't come. You change the story. Well, if God would, you change the story. Well, what about you change the story? Well, what about this? You change the story. What about you're changing the story? Don't change the story of redemption. Continue to believe in it because people need something to believe in. Where am I in the story? He says, everyone who hears these words. And now we get to the real meat of the message. He wants us to understand that you are a master builder. He says, you're a master builder. And he goes on and he, and he shares and he says this. Um, you're either a wise builder or a foolish builder. And he's saying that there can't be a mixture. He says, you are a master builder. And here is the, is the takeaway. And this is, this is the quote. This is it right here. This is the healing that we need. He says this. And I quote, the healing truth about ourselves begins in identifying ourselves within the constraints of the parable. What I mean by this is when you finally see yourself in the story and you're able to say, yeah, that's me. I am a wise builder. Okay, that's where the healing can begin. Or I'm a foolish builder. Okay, that's where the healing can begin. It's when you come to this place of recognizing where you are in the story. You have to identify yourself. You have to get to a place where you recognize this is the truth about my life. And I emphasize it so you can get it. Not because I don't think you can hear me. But you got to get to a place where you realize this is my life. And I don't want to be a foolish builder. I want to be a wise builder. Why? Because I'm the master of my destiny. Prove that in scripture, preacher. I will. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, 21. Luke chapter 12, verse 16, 21. I want you to go there. Because this is really the key component of seeing yourself in the store and recognizing you're a master builder. This is the question about your soul. This is where Jesus now does a teaching with this parable. That we must see yourself in. Luke 12 verses 16 to 21. And it begins with this. And he told them a parable saying. In verse 16 of Luke 12. The land of a rich man produced plentiful. So God's not against capitalism. Come on. <laughs> he actually wants you to produce. He's shown that the earth now. Because you should have domination of it. You're supposed to dominate. He's saying that the earth they put their seed in. And it was producing what? Plentiful. And so the rich man looked and thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crop? So the blessing came, right? And life is complicated. Look at this. Life is complicated. God is blessing me and it's bringing complications. Can we be honest here, right? You know what I'm saying? And so a lot of people, God blesses them and all of a sudden life got more complicated. What? How in the world can God bless you with prosperity and it becomes complicated? See yourself in the story. See yourself in the story. 
Because if we go back to the earlier part, what had happened was someone came and said, hey, Jesus, um, my brother's not treating me right. And so therefore, I need for you to go be my judge. I don't want you as Lord. I just want you to be judge and make sure you get what's rightfully for me. That's what they wanted Jesus to do. They didn't want to come to him and say, Jesus, how do I build a life? They said, no, how do I treat my brother and how do I trust God that he's going to give me this? And Jesus says, you're missing the whole point of it. Just doesn't deny prosperity. So when we talk about the prosperity gospel, let's be real and clear with people. Come on. The enemy is lying to us so we stay broke. He doesn't want the gospel to be funded to go all over the world. Come on, somebody. And so he brings a mindset to us and we miss what is being said. God was talking about, Jesus, excuse me, was talking about covetousness and the enemy comes and lies and says, see, God doesn't want you to prosper. The devil is a liar. And so we labor the prosperity gospel so we stay away from it and stay broke. But we got people who don't know God. Come on, don't honor God. Don't fear God. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Driving all these different things. And what do we do? We envy it because we don't think we can get it. So we complicate life by listening to the lies of the enemy. Write that down right there. We complicate our lives because we listen to the lies of the enemy. And Jesus said it's not complicated. It's about covetousness. It's about covetousness. He's telling us right here. So when I see people who says, oh, man, God bless me. But now I'm like, what? How could God bless you? It makes it complicated. Now you're changing everything you know. If God bless you, you're going to be more. God, bring it more. Come on, bring it more. God, if you're blessing me, come on. I want to be a blessing. If you're bringing more blessing, I want to give it to every single person that I know. Because I want people to know that God is so good. He's blessing us. Now. Money is not the answer to everything. It's not number one, but it's a close number two. The proverb says that money answers things. Come on, somebody. Right? So when we have to sit here and be like, hey, let's have a bake sale for something. Come on. There's people right now that God wants to drop a revelation in you that you can produce a product that people can get and use. Listen, not everybody's broke during coronavirus. Come on, somebody. Some people's income went up. What? In the midst of a pandemic, people are prospering? Yes. So please, it's about covetousness. It's not about you going and I want all this stuff because we're going to see how Jesus dealt with it. And so let's stop being afraid of God's prosperity. Come on, somebody. Let's stop being afraid of it. Come on, as a church. Let's stop it because, because your mind is, 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 is limited in what God wants to do in this nation, in this city. And that's what it is, right? You've been watching stuff. You know what I mean? Just, just read God's word and realize that he's not afraid of people prospering. He says it right here. He says it right there. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. He's talking to himself. He's saying, this complication is causing me to have to talk to myself. <laughs> we do it all the time, don't we? When's he going to finish? That's you talking to yourself. Come on, somebody. Or you could be preach, preacher, preach. Come on. 
I'm going to lean to the second one. Preach, 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 right? And so he's talking to himself, and he says, he says, what shall I do? And he goes, here's what I will do. I have this great idea. Not trust God. Look at this idea that I have. Not treat people. Look at this idea that I have. He says, he says, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. <laughs> oh, look at what he said right there. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry, and miss what God has for you. Come on. And that's what we're seeing if you define the American church. Now, the church in America, let me be clear. You think you keep hearing me say over and over again. There's a big difference between the American church and the church in America. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm not saying thus saith the Lord. This is my thought of walking with the Lord. And my love for this nation. I love this nation. Although I was born in one nation. And was brought to another nation. God called me to this nation. And one of the things I want people to understand is this. Is that there's the American church. And what I believe is going to be the greatest threat. To this nation. Oh God. Is where they make a religion that the American church buys into so they don't challenge the culture. It says if you follow this religion, you can still relax, don't need nothing. You can eat, don't need nothing. You can drink, don't do nothing. You can be merry, don't do nothing. Next thing you know, it's the mark of. Now, now, I'm telling people this, and I tell people all the time. I said, listen, okay, okay, listen, listen, listen. Okay, all the things we're saying right now, Jesus, Jesus talked about it. But when do we really know? When are we going to get to a place to really know this is where now that it's come to a place where the end is near? When will we know that? Because people are relaxing, they're eating, they're drinking, they're being married. We're doing all that. We're resting ourselves in Zion because what's going to happen? They're going to say this because of our constitution and freedom of religion. I can't change your religion, so I'll conform you to one that you buy into. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on now. Come on, that you can now say, I'll say to myself, I'll tear down these barns, I'll big larger ones, and I'll store all my grains and my good. And I'm here to tell the church, come on church, we've got to be a voice because life is complicated. And people are deciding because life is complicated. I just want to sit, relax, eat, and drink, and be merry, and I have to mess with it. But unfortunately, we can't. I say to my soul, you have ample goods left for you. We talk about the church in Revelation, the seventh church. And their biggest thing was they said, we have no need for God. This particular parable, you look at it, he's saying because of covetousness, because of what's going on, he's saying, I just want to get to a place where I can relax. How I many know that it's exhausting? Come on, living in the time. The debates, the, the, the battle, everything that's going on. I just want to tear down these barns and build a larger one so that we can just relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, verse 20, aren't you glad that God still speaks in the midst of that? Come on, church. But God said to him, fool. He decides what kind of builder he is. He says, with that kind of thinking, you're foolish. 
Because my prosperity came so you can pour into people. Come on. That you can use your creativity to build people up. Come on, somebody. That I gave you the prosperity to tell people about the blessing of Almighty God. So you can say to your soul, come on. I don't know when God's going to call me home. But one thing I do know is this. That I don't just want to lay up treasures for myself and not be rich towards God. He says, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not as rich towards God. The reason why the prophetic word came and says, now build your life. Is because God is saying, I have prospered you. I have given you the wealth that you need. And the wealth that I've given you is for you to build. Come on. And so he's saying, build lives, not things. Come on. Build lives and not things. So Jesus goes on, he says, because you see, the reason why I have to have a solid foundation is because there's a storm coming. And we have to make sure that with the storm that is coming, that is solid foundation. What type of builder are you? See yourself in both of the parables. What type of builder are you? Are you hearing me, church? Life is complicated. The more I talk to people, the more I realize that life is so complicated. But Jesus is not, and neither is church. The challenge for people is they want to change the story. Isn't it amazing that some of the things you've gone through, and when you get to a point where you recognize that God was always there, the story becomes his story. Come on. You see what I'm saying? That you go through so many things. You know how hard it is? I'm speaking to people, I'm talking to people, young people that just, especially people that talk about they've been, they've been molested and just, you know, things that happened to them. And, and I'm trying to tell them to trust God. And they're like, what do you mean? Where was he? I mean, when I worked in foster care and some of the kids would just mess themselves, urinate just so the perp wouldn't come near them. Life is complicated, church. Life is complicated. People have to make decisions because someone they thought loved them was put them in a compromising position. That's, that's the people that join. That's the people that come into church. They walk into church and they're in the agora. Come on. They're in the agora with those experiences. And God is saying, church, life is complicated because nobody would willingly stay in the agora where the enemy is auctioning them off for sale. Nobody in their right minds would do that. But they're waiting for someone who's rich towards God. Come on. Who would say, I can make that payment. Come on, somebody. Ooh, shaka That I'm going to be like Jesus. Come on. And I'm going to come into the messes of your life. Come on. Because I understand God prospered me. He, he prospered me so I can come now and let you know. You don't have to live in the Agora anymore. 
that what you want is room over here. So God said, build bigger churches. Come on, not facilities. Big, bigger, bigger churches. Build bigger people of faith who will go into the dark places where life is complicated and says, no, Jesus saves. Jesus delivers. Oh my God, come with me. Come on, come with me. Build your life. Jesus goes to his apostles and says, we must get to Samaria. We have to get to Samaria. We got to get there. Why? Because somebody is experiencing a complicated life. And so you don't go to Samaria because they're the enemy. You don't go through Samaria because they built a temple onto themselves where there was a division between the Jews and a division between the Samaritans because of who they married and mixed with. And so all of a sudden now we have a division not caused by God but caused by man. Oh my goodness. And they're both in the Agora. And so Jesus now comes in John chapter 4. He goes to the woman at the well because he says life is complicated. You don't come to the well by yourself. No, that's why we're having sister to sister. You do things together as lady. But when she's by herself, she is saying that life is complicated. Nobody wants to mess with my mess. And Jesus gets there. He says, you can't live in the Agora. You, you can't live there. And he has a conversation with her. And he realizes now. And she realizes now. That Jesus is not complicated. He gives a simple message. That she drops the bucket. And she runs back into the city. And says come see a man who told me everything. You see. Life is complicated. People don't know what direction to go. Wait till the midterms. Come on, somebody. Can we be honest, right? Complicated. But Jesus is saying to his church, you are the master builder of your destiny. Now be wise and build your life so there's room for others to come on in. Come on. That's the message right there. Build your life so there's room for other people to come in. That I'm taking from the Agora. So they can come in and can say. Jesus. You're not complicated. Whatever head bowed. Every eyes closed. When you leave. This building. You're going to meet people who are going to say, or who's living a complicated life. Financially, emotionally, mentally, physically. What do we do? I want to encourage you to tell them, build your life on a solid foundation. You're going to need it. You're going to need to have your life built on a solid foundation. That's based on conviction and based on confession. Listen to their story. Please listen to people's story. Listen to their experience. Because the challenge is that they want to change the story. 
And number three, remind them that God has prospered them so that they can build their life and welcome other people into their life. If that's you this morning and perhaps you're watching online, I want you to know this. Today is your decision to look within yourself and ask the question, how is my foundation? How solid is my foundation? Father, we need you right now more than anything. Deception is running so rampant. God, how do I make my next decision? What do I tell myself about this particular issue? Thank you, Jesus.